Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, um, good overnight. Um, welcome to another um, epic or enlightening episode of the Global Leadership Podcast with myself, Anthony Price. And me, Jonathan Bradley. And, or is it I? No, I, me, me. It's me. It is me. Yes, I, th- I think so. Yeah. <laughs> it is me, just to be sure, to be sure. I anyway, want... we're... Go on. Yes. No, no, you go. Uh, well, I, I, I enter this podcast with a degree of trepidation. <sighs> it's going to be a tri- tricky topic this week. A tricky topic. I did say that correctly, It's easy didn't for I? you to say. It, it, yeah, it really is. Um, so this week we wanted, as ever, we have some good questions. And by the way, some shout outs, which I mustn't forget during the course of this podcast um, through social media and emails. Um, but this week we're going to tackle the sensitive subject of political leaders that we can learn lessons from in business life. <laughs> Which is easy to say, but of course, we want to remain politically neutral because within the United Kingdom, where both myself and JB reside, we are in general election uh, territory. Um, we are only, what, two and a bit weeks away from, in fact, less than two weeks now um, to the general election. So um, we thought we'd devote this episode to that, didn't we, JB? Absolutely. And I, I think it's a bit of a, I, again, I don't know whether there's going to be any let's get practicals out of this uh, because I think this is going to be another one of those quite reflective Mm. kind of um, just, you know, getting stuff into the ether and and playing around with it. If there's any learning out of this, uh, we we generally get, I mean, the feedback we get is that we usually have something that people take away from it. So that's quite good. What's practical in this one would be what not to do. (laughs) Don't do what they did because I think there'll be some, things we can learn from great leaders, but I think we should step into where leadership have made mistakes in the political public life as well. I I was um, listening to another uh, programme actually recently, and uh, the the topic was quite interesting about uh, the difference between leader and leadership. Interesting. And, And it did make me start thinking about this podcast about the different styles of our leaders and their leadership styles. So it's quite useful to think, you know, on the one hand, you know, we can we can look at the obvious leader and their behaviours and their styles and so on. But when we think about leadership, which of those leaders that come to, to spring to mind actually create great leadership around them and others we perceive as as great leaders, and perhaps even forgive them uh, for some of the things that you know they don't do quite so well. But we still we still hold them up there as great leaders. So I thought it might be quite useful to think about you know the different types of leaders who immediately spring to mind. You know, like Nelson Mandela uh, that that you mentioned before we went on air. You know, what a what a fantastic. Uh, leader, and then compare him to, say, uh, Boris Johnson uh, or Jeremy Corbyn or Joe Swinson. And and those are obviously British leaders. Um, You know, there are Erdogan and, um, you know, Trump um, and various other leaders that we can throw into the pot and just think, are we talking about a leader here? Uh, Or let's think about leadership 
what are they what what is what is the difference between a leader and leadership in the context of these these people that's my that's my starting point there so i, I i'm going to come from a slightly different angle um with this one i um in advance of today's episode kind of reflected a little bit about in people that have inspired me in public life um and if i'm totally honest i struggled um because yeah. the um, the political landscape, I think, for most people around the world, we would recognise is changing. Um, you know, Brexit in the UK is is clearly a topic that has divided people. In the US, Trump has divided people. <coughs> and, previ- and, you know, we fought, um, you know, world wars for freedom of speech. And it seems that um, people are less comfortable than I've ever seen in recent history to talk about the political position of themselves. And therefore, even acknowledging some of the strengths of these political leaders could be seen as quite divisive in a conversation. So yesterday I was in an office in London um, talking to um, some colleagues of mine and we were talking about the upcoming general election. And actually what it ended up becoming was a debate about the co- the capability of the leadership as opposed to the policies of a party. Um, you know, so, you know, you mentioned Boris Johnson, um, JB. Now he's the former mayor of London in the UK. Um, he has some, um, I think he's become quite a, a figure around the world, probably for the wrong reasons, because of his um, public hiccups, which arguably could have been orchestrated. But that, that's a different topic, I suspect. But of course, um, there there seems to be a, a, a very marmite opinion of, of Boris Johnson. Number one, by the way, um, he successfully campaigned to use the word Boris rather than Mr. Johnson. So he feels more, I guess, human and in touch with his people. But um, he um, very successfully, you could argue, campaigned to leave the European Union. Um, But he talked about positivity. He talked about hope. He had a vision. And I think that if we compare that to the um, Remain um, campaign, um, the leaders of that campaign very much campaigned on fear. And I suspect that um, even if both sides of the argument were correct, people are more drawn towards optimism, optimism and um, progress rather than, um, you know, um, it almost becomes, um, you know, fear leadership. And I think you, know, you look at that, that as an example. I then think of, of Jeremy Corbyn. Um, who was the opposition leader in a general election in 2017 um, in the United Kingdom. And interestingly, um, he um, lost that general election, but to the public or his supporters, he won the election. He didn't, he lost. But of course, he gained some seats. um, in, In other words, he gained in power in Parliament, although he was not the biggest party in Parliament. He was the second biggest. But again, if I look back at what he successfully did, he talked about hope. He talked about the future and he managed to... Um, and both Boris Johnson and Trump and Jeremy Corbyn have very clever marketing strategies, if you will, campaigns. We've talked about that in a previous episode where they identify things that will resonate with the audience and they really play on those particular points. And I think that for me um, has been very interesting. And certainly if I was to take things in my day life at my job, I always try and talk about the positives rather than focusing in on the negatives. And I think that can be certainly lessons that are learned from politicians that I've seen. And I've given you three examples there. Um, and look, there's there's another political, there's not there's a non-political, but she seems to get involved in political figures that seems to have gained 
some momentum a couple of years ago. Um, a lady called Katie Hopkins, not a very pleasant lady, but sometimes I've met her. Have you? Yeah, I have. What was she like in person? I <laughs> well, actually, um, controversially, um, she was very nice. Um, she was she was positively charming. Um, and I'm Christabel. I just would you mind turning the radio off downstairs, darling, or wherever it's on? Oh. I, it's just a, <laughs> Yeah, I will if you turn I, off your grave music when I work. Okay, right. Uh, we are in the middle of a broadcast. <laughs> oh, I do beg your pardon. Sorry I can't bring you a coffee. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, God. Um, Where were we? Uh, right, okay. That was my wife, uh, mm. everybody. Uh, she came in to make me a coffee, which is actually very nice indeed, but she's um, she's got the radio going and it's interfering with my concentration. Oh, dear. Uh, which is which is hopeless. Um, so anyway, I I was interested in that um, that that thought about Boris and Corbyn, and uh, so the the impact I think that Boris has had uh, has been enormous uh, within the Conservative Party and. Uh, with with obviously the, the those who are interested in in leaving the EU, and the uh, one cannot underestimate uh, the the focus of his campaign. The, yeah. the first of which was this concept of taking back control, which uh, galvanised people into thinking, stroke believing that we needed to take back control as a country. So it was an emotional appeal uh, and therefore emotionally appealing uh, to its audience. And, uh, you know, when when you talk to people who are inclined to leave the EU, that is that these are words that they will reflect back to you. It is about taking back control. And then if you go a, a few layers deeper than that, it's about money uh, it's about uh, borders, it's about laws. And so, you know, gradually you can go deeper and deeper and deeper down into what taking back control is all about. It was a fantastic campaign, absolutely brilliant. And uh, then it's now gone on to another highly focused uh, campaign and this is um, for, for those of people, those of you who are not um, in the EU or in Britain. Uh, th- there has been about three years of jiggery pokery uh, in our Parliament, uh, <laughs> and everyone's sick and tired of Brexit, regardless of whether you are a Lever or a Remainer. And again, the the the, the genius of the Conservative campaign is just three words get it done let's or let's get it done but get it done um you know is is a line now and you know that's very clear for people to understand and it's emotionally appealing Mm. it's like i am sick of this and i just regardless of what i think i just want to get it done that clarity of message is superb i think if, if you link it back to a previous episode we talked about which was all about the uncertainty how can you lead during uncertainty? And I suspect 
um, hey, look, we're recording this in advance of a general election. It'd be fascinating to listen back to this in three weeks' time when we when maybe we do a prediction. Um, That's my trepidation. <laughs> yeah, but but I, but I think you're right. I think the appeal of the current leadership campaign, and again, this is the thing: you are um, maybe we're spending too much time looking at the personality of the leader. At our workplace, I don't know what our chief executive's life is like outside of work. But of course, the political leader, everything is scrutinised from from the people they they have um, you know relationships with, um, extramarital or not, and other things. And I think there is too much um, uh, um, focus on that as opposed to, to to what JB's just mentioned. And incidentally, we probably won't announce, and I don't intend to announce how I intend to vote on in the general election, and I doubt JB will either. But I suspect we also recognise the qualities of all the opposing parties' leadership qualities if we really um, drill it down. Um, but um, where was I going with this point? I've forgotten. Um, oh, yes, uncertainty. So um, I think um, uh, the conservative campaign is all about creating some certainty. And we all know in business, uncertainty can be absolutely um, crippling to a business's performance. So therefore, I imagine this resonates with lots of people that you just want it done. To, to, to JB's point, get Brexit done, I think is the is the official term. But one of the things that I've, I think consistently you could argue with successful political lead, leaders are the ones that are remembered as leaders. Um, and to your point, leaders, leadership, um, you know, they, they tend to be quite bold um, they seem to be respected in peer circles. So again, um, if we look at, I mean, Trump isn't respected in peer circles, I guess, per se, but he certainly is bold and therefore he has, he seems to be respected for his boldness and his ability to influence and his, his kind of accuracy is probably a, a, a crude word, but certainly his drive to do things. Um, you know, uh, I think... Um, uh, if you look at Boris Johnson, he's successfully, arguably, um, counselled other leaders um, into doing things that other people said he couldn't do, um, as in reopen the negotiations for the withdrawal agreement, I think was the the, the term. And I think the, the perception of um, the opinion polls would suggest that that has therefore allowed people to believe in his competence as a leader, as an individual. Hey, we could, you and I, I know, could talk extensively as we do off microphone um, about what we like and don't like about certain politicians' personalities and, and their histories and their backgrounds. But um, what I think, um, if you look at, and, and Thatcher, you know, Bold, was very successful at influencing, um, you know, um, the, the the Soviet uh, Union, for example, um, the Berlin Wall, and all these other different things that were um, successfully done. But you know, um, she was a bold leader. Um, she was respected, not necessarily for the right reasons, but she was respected for her ability to influence. And I think that, for me, stands out as a regular trait that I've noticed when I was trying to think about political leaders of our time and, of course, years gone by as well. I, 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 the, the term chickens um, coming home to roost um, springs to mind. And, you know, uh, the power of the soundbite is mm. never more powerful, uh, never more uh, useful in, uh, in, in winning hearts and minds, it seems to me. 
because it's not just about what happens on TV anymore or what happens in the newspapers anymore. It's about what happens in social media. And if if that uh, narrowing of focused message is is broadcast enough and you have a leader who is credible at that time, at that time, then uh, I think all sorts of extraordinary and interesting things can happen. And I won't go on about the differences here between Corbyn and Johnson in the UK, but... Uh, it seems to me that Corbyn's message is very messy. I I don't I can't find three or four words that clarify his position or the position of his party. It is terribly messy, yeah. uh, and therefore uh, that that causes me a problem. Uh, I. I feel that, as I said earlier, you know, Johnson's message, um, wherever he has come across that, how, how, is, how that has kind of manifested, I don't know. How much of that comes from him and how much of it comes from others around him, I don't know. But there is massive clarity and it is winning. Uh, and then what happens when you take back control and you get it over the line? Uh, you get this done, you know, then it's a question of the credibility uh, of the soundbite. What is that soundbite, you know, sufficiently kind of uh, honest and true uh, further down the line? So in six months to a year's time, uh, in politics, it seems to me that you you can actually get away with because our expectations of our leaders now uh, in terms of integrity is actually pretty low. It's at an all-time low. So I think we forgive them uh, for the soundbite if it doesn't quite come off, it doesn't quite happen. Whereas in in business, uh, I think if you took your corporate FTSE 100 and crashed out of the FTSE 100 because... You got your your sound bites wrong, um, and you know you you hacked off uh, a number of your shareholders, stakeholders, uh, and they didn't buy the stuff anymore, or you weren't in tune with the right message. You are going to get absolutely ruthlessly destroyed, not only just as a business, but also as as a leader. Whereas it seems to me that it, the, the politics and politicians have a great more a great a great deal more flexibility with the truth I, I think someone described uh, one of the politicians uh, in the UK recently as having an elastic relationship with the truth which I thought was quite an interesting expression and how how, how is it Anne, that they get away with this oh, and this is where the, the the whole thing about politicians comes into play doesn't it I suspect Um but um, I, I but look, and, and the truth is, is that and, and me and my wife were talking about the manifestos. Um, you know, they, 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 some some say that manifestos. You need to get out more, Anne. We, yeah, <laughs> you need to take her out to dinner more. Yeah, well, with many children running around the house, it's uh, near impossable. But I'll come go. and babysit. Oh, good call. You heard it there first, listener. Uh, <laughs> um, I think with the um, 
with the, the, the elastication of the truth, I think um, journalists don't necessarily help the cause in these situations. You would never find a communications manager in an organization asking questions of the CEO, knowing full well that they cannot answer them, but they just do it to get them to feel uncomfortable because it's the public opinion. In an organization, um, a chief executive would never be scrutinized. Well, uh, you know, town halls, for example, they may get a difficult question from the audience. But of course, you have to be very careful about pissing off the, the chief executive. Whereas there is, I guess, because the the prime ministers and presidents around the world are held to account due to democracy and therefore can be voted out, um, there there is and the, the the job of a journalist is to interrogate. Um, there that you know I think that they have no choice in many respects to be um, elasticated with the truth. In a business. I would be honest to say there are things that I am willing to answer now and things that I'm not. But of course, I don't have opposition CEOs telling me we well, can't do that. I would do it differently. Um, you know, it would never work. So I, I suspect that's partly down to the, the world of democracy. That said, talking to the wife last night um, in the in the, the, the depressing ability to not go out for dinner, um, we, um, we 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 reflected on the fact that should manifestos be law? You know, are they contracts? Um, is there consequences for not complying with the manifesto you're elected on? You know, but that, that maybe is a, is a separate topic. But, but one of the things, JB, I wanted to throw into the mix here is, I guess, a judge of or learnings from leaders could also be learnt from crisis leadership. So I'm sure most listeners will recall where they were the day 9-11, um, you know, happened 2001. And at that point, most of us in our countries around the world, when all those planes were grounded all over the world, looked to our leaders, elected representatives, to sum up the mood of our country, but also give us a sense of unity with the US um, and actually give us a sense of safety. Because I think all of us around the world, everyone listening, I imagine, that is over a certain age will remember that feeling of anxiety and uncertainty. The world has changed. This is a huge impact. And of course, George Bush and Tony Blair were, um, you know, elected leaders of, of our country. Shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. And and therefore, those messages are the sorts of things that stick. And, I, you know, Rudy Giuliani, I believe, was the New York mayor, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. And ironically now, he seems to be all caught up in his reputations in tatters compared to how it was as, a, as an elected leader of New York at the time. And I remember actually thinking, you know, this guy is is impressive um, in his communication and the fact that he was bringing people together. Um, and I think there can be a lot learned around crisis leadership, how you deal with those situations. What do you think? Uh, I, I I agree. And I think, but I think it goes back to that point uh, that, that I, I was referring to uh, about the leader and the leadership. And... Uh, there are times uh, that times when uh, organisations, uh, political or otherwise, need to hold up their leader as the leader, and they are directive, they are instructive, they are powerful, they are charismatic, uh, and you know you don't need to look much further than. Um, Boris Johnson um, or Trump or Erdogan or whatever um, or Putin 
you know, these are, whether we like it or not, they are highly charismatic individuals. Uh, they have power over uh, their people, I, I think. I, I, it's just a, it's what I see. I, I, I know we have listeners, a, we have listeners in Russia and US and so we have all these people, you know, certainly there, so maybe they it, can it, tell it, us. My hunch is that the leaders that I've just described uh, operate on the basis of power over rather than power with. Mm. So uh, if we look at a figure like Nelson Mandela uh, or we look at Obama, uh, then, you know, even even Blair, actually, although that, that's debatable, you know, these were more uh, inclusive figures uh, where the focus was more power with uh, and or at least that was the that was the impression. Uh, you know, maybe I should take Blair out of that because there was some criticism of him and his sofa, uh, which was rather exclusive for a bunch of two or three other people. But anyway, uh, I I think in in times of crisis, people are looking for a decisive leader, and that decisive leader. I, I'm, I'm just going to put my, my thought out here, you know, take the risk of being the d divisive leader because, uh, you know, a lot of them are marmite You know, Putin is Marmite uh, and Boris is Marmite. Trump is, is Marmite. Erdogan, Marmite. These characters are Marmite characters. You know, people, people will flock to their charisma at a time when, you know, we need that kind of drive and uh, the soundbite that we can buy into, uh, that, you know, what's, you know, we've said in previous podcasts, what's your moon? You know, I, we're going to, we're going to put someone on the moon within a decade. We're going to build a rocket uh, to get him there and we're going to get him back alive. And so that actually happened. And, you know, that needs a very charismatic, powerful drive to make that happen. And but I think this is an ancient an ancient debate had in many different formats about do we have a leadership style or do we have a leader style and do we allow for both? Is it necessary for us to be able to allow for both in our politics and in our organisations? So therefore, I guess linking the, the, your point and the crisis thing together sometimes you in business as a leader have to make tough decisions and yeah. you have to be willing to live with the consequences and the reputational damage that that might do. <clears throat> I have, um, for example, um, exited people in a team before, <clears throat> excuse me, um, which of course, if they're respected and liked within the wider organisation or team, it's going to have an impact because there is going to be um, hostility to your decision uh, and or there is going to be trust in your competence as a lead questioned, whether it's concluded to be the case or not, it's another thing. So therefore, I think you're right. You know, some of these elected leaders have to make those tough decisions and you're never going to please all the, the electorate. And I guess this is why so many people are deterred from going into politics, because arguably me, you, me, you and JB and me could easily be chancellor of the exchequer and prime minister or president and vice president don't know which way around i imagine jb would only insist on being power over i i think i would have to be on top um, excuse me is christabel back 
No, I think I've got some. I've got some making making good. I shall go and make her a coffee or something and um, uh, make good my my errors. Um, but well, so but would we want people digging around in our history and you know that suddenly appearing in the sun uh, or the or the or the mirror or the, the you know Wall Street Journal? I, I I would hate anyone to dig around in my history. Uh, not that I've got anything to hide, obviously, but I, I I don't think I'd want that kind of scrutiny or exposure. So, what kind of people, what kind of people get into politics nowadays when you know people are being sh- MPs are being shot? You know, pe- people in high positions. Uh, you know, we we had uh, an example of that in the UK recently, well, about a year or so ago. Uh, Joe Cox three. Three years. Um, three was it? Three years ago. Mm. Yeah, it seems seems quite quite fresh because of I guess what's happening now, mm. and you know it, it takes a particular type of person with an immense amount of conviction uh, to go into politics now, and you know what what have we got? Have we got have we got people um, left who who started off with those high levels of conviction? Uh, to get into politics, what's happened to them? What's happened to a lot of these people? Because my sense is that a lot of them are just walking sound bites. Well, I think uh, Tony Blair in the UK became the walking soundbite. In fact, I think uh, his communications guy, um, Alistair Campbell, I think his name was, was very successful at creating soundbites that can be regurgitated time and time again. Um, but you're right, you know, it's, it's, it, it, and this is the thing, I, to, to your point, JB, it's difficult for this, this, this particular episode to be dead practical because we have the complications of people um, that are not business leaders. They are political leaders. But in terms of picking some things that these people do that we can adopt or learn from, I think um, communication seems to be a popular point of comment for you and I. It's like... Seagulls. Oh, lovely. A flock of seagulls. I thought you had a pigeon that had got into or under your feet or something. You know, a, little, a flock of seagulls just passed over my, over my house. Lovely. And over my house is just a sparrow. Um, so there you go. Anyway, um, I think one one common thing is is communications. Um, regular, frequent, clear, concise communications are something that successful political leaders. When I say successful, they got elected um, based on their campaign. Um, now, again, our, I guess is is this a good point to predict where we think the election <gasps> will come out? Oh, goodness gracious me! I'm happy to go first. Well, I just before we, I just want to on the back of what you just said though about communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I have a little nervousness oh. about uh, authenticity, and I think it's quite a good moment just to reflect on the fact that a lot of uh, politicians seem to be uh, they they've got they've come out of the amateur years of, of walking soundbitery. I think I think we're now in professional soundbitery territory, which is they are incredibly robotic. Whether whether whichever party, whichever you know party you affiliate to, it doesn't matter. They talk utter nonsense, and the vast majority of them are inauthentic, 
soundbite uh, merchants. That, and they've, they've got the script and they're there to say whatever they need to say. Apart they are from in, Trump. Apart from Trump. He doesn't follow script. He doesn't have sound bites. He just shoots from the hip often, I would argue. Well, that's a very interesting point, isn't it? About his authenticity. He and is totally authentic, isn't he? He is. Which is petrifying for someone like me. Well, but, but, um, but, but to your point, though, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it does play into that question. He's respected for his authenticity. You may not like well, what he you're says. Right. You're Katie right, Hopkins and... in the UK is the same. Yeah. She's, she, yeah. She, she tells you, she doesn't give a shit whether you like it or not. Yeah. But she'll tell you what she thinks. As does yeah, Trump. yeah. Clinton, um, you know, uh, Obama. Obama was so Obama. I think had a balance of authenticity and not soundbitey. Well, so he tiptoed along the <laughs> axis of um, he tiptoed along the axis of leadership and leader, in my view. And I think he tiptoed back and forth. I, he he struck me as an as a as a inclusively led uh, leader. Uh, he he wanted to. He was collegiate. He he wanted to involve as many as he could in in what was at least that was the the brand that I I bought uh, with Obama. And Trump is is the leader. In his, I think in his mind, he, he's there to do a job, which is to lead. And and that's, you know, it's his White House and it's his, um, you know, it's his presidency. And that that's your lot, you know. And um, I, I wonder how sustainable that is in the long term. Yeah. Um, and, you know, reflecting on that inside an organization. Yeah, you can you can go back. Uh, to the to the 1930s and employ a control and command technique if you want to but you will lose people uh, because they have choices these days and you know i i wonder you know about politicians at this time when we seem to be steering ourselves more towards the leader than leadership with the one exception being corbyn uh, because he is he is not a leader, in my view, and sorry to anyone who is, um, you know, a, a great believer of him. I I I believe that he is authentic. I I think he is actually uh, an authentic man. I think that he is inclusive in his style, uh, in in some ways, in a lot of ways, actually. Um, and it's it, it's interesting to to think about um, you know Joe Swinson in the UK, uh, who's uh, the leader of the Liberal Democrats, who got an absolute pasting uh, last uh, in the last election, uh, and they were punished for uh, going into coalition with the Conservative Party and uh, reneging on a few promises that they weren't able to deliver on. Well, they actually went worse from 15 to 17, didn't they? Yeah. So they, uh, or did they grow in 17? No, I think they they went backwards again, didn't they? Oh God, no! They they lost a, they lost an awful lot of seats. I think I think because um, 15 what, was when the coalition finished, and then there was oh no, was, yeah. yeah, it was yeah. And then there was 17, another one where they did even worse. I yeah, I think I think that they they've they've sort of pretty much wiped out. Joe Swinson has 
uh, has been quite directive, I think. I think she, she has taken up the leader position rather than the leadership position. Uh, particular, here's an example of that. Um, she, she has uh, made it the uh, policy of the Liberal Democrats that if they were elected uh, outright, they would revoke Article 50, uh, which takes us or, or, or keep, keeps us in uh, the EU without any referendum. And that is a, is a highly directive uh, style, I would say, as an example of that. I think it's the biggest political gamble of the Liberal Democrats. So obviously, unlike Labour, I think, playing all their cards in the ambition that it will win some momentum. But then, to your point, it comes to the ability of the leader to campaign that in a way that you trust their competence to carry it out if they're elected. And I think where Swinson's opinion polls are slipping backwards is that under any scrutiny, it's a bit like the other end of the spectrum with Nigel Farage, they seem to be a one-trick pony. All they can talk about is stopping Brexit in Joe Swinson's case or leaving without a deal in Nigel Farage's case, which is the Brexit party leader. Um, but arguably, um, uh, you know, they are compl- they are extremes of these these debates. But under any scrutiny, Joe Swinson falls to pieces. Any questioning from a journalist with legitimate questions, which actually are fair to ask, she doesn't stand up. And I think actually the authenticity, I don't, I don't believe in Joe Swinson either. I think, and I was disappointed because, like many people in the UK, um, with the Parliament being prorogued, with it being completely locked, um, with an ability to move anything forward, and an unwillingness. Um, to do anything about it. I think where I got frustrated was actually hoping that a new leader for Liberal Democrats would offer us a centrist party. Um, You kind of, Conservatives going more right, arguably, Mm. um, uh, Labour going more left. Lib Dems were probably the perfect party. And actually, I was also quite excited originally when the Independent Group for Change or Change UK, as they then became as an official party, were launched. I was thinking, finally, there is a centre-ground party, but both Liberal Democrats and Change have not managed to bring people together, which I think is, I assume, again, a wrong bet by Corbyn. We're going very UK here, but never mind. Because in the UK, in in Corbyn, he's suggesting he's taking a neutral position. His campaign is all about neutrality. Um, and not having a position on Brexit. Instead, he will negotiate a deal without having a position himself. And then he will take it, take it to the people. And I think you're right. He hasn't got a position. And actually, I was in fact, I was reading on social media just yesterday. Um, it's, it, it's ironically quite the opposite of leadership. You need to have a position that you campaign and you stand behind. Um, and are willing to be elected on. So you can at least respect Swinson and Farage for having a very clear position. Um, and got, Boris Johnson. You know, so the, the, thing, the thing I think that uh, we, maybe we can sort of uh, uh, leave behind from this is you, you know, you've got to have that the idea of getting to the moon within a decade, uh, building a rocket uh, to get us there and having, having the values to get us back alive. That that is very very clear in terms of a direction of travel. Uh, I think uh, you know the the the, the Johnson uh, government uh, have, have perhaps got a a moon uh, of of sorts. I, I'm personally not convinced about the the rocket, 
and I certainly have a major issue getting about us all, get, all getting back alive. I think some will, uh, but it won't be me. And so I, I have I have some issues. If we take if we take the same test and apply that to uh, Corbyn uh, and his government or his 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 leadership, uh, what have we got? Uh, I, I'm the moon or the sun or Mars or you know what is what is the the spaceship will never what, take the, off under Corbyn because of the competence of the people <laughs> building his rocket. <laughs> We'd be certainly. I wouldn't get on the rocket. Well, at least you would. At least you wouldn't get back alive because you never left in the first place. So, um. <laughs> well, so that's that's so that that I think is a very very good point about where the hell we are at the moment. Uh, we've got trust issues, massive trust issues uh, in politics and in politicians uh, across the globe right now. Massive trust. What, what's fascinating, though, is as an outsider, when you aren't impacted by people, you can look at them more objectively. So interestingly, I know domestically Obama wasn't particularly popular towards the end of his tenure, although I'm sure people are now, well, I don't know, I would presume some people are now wishing they had him back. Uh, and actually, I remember a few years ago, possibly even talking to you about it, I said, I wonder what would happen if there was a change in the Constitution that allowed Obama to be elected for a third time and put him up against Trump, how that would have panned out. It would have been really interesting. Um, but, of course, it hasn't come to be. Um, but uh, um, I, I think um, as an outsider, so Mark Rutt in the Netherlands, I really like his communication style. Straight talking, but polite, respected um, seems to care for his people and demonstrates competence and professionalism and fairness. Um, but maybe domestically, he's divisive. I know that um, Trudeau in Trudeau, whatever it's pronounced in Canada, he arrived. Trudeau. Yeah, yeah. He, he arrived with a big fanfare of fantastic change. You look at Macron in France again, um, the, the, and and they seem to be. You know, it seems to swing all over the place in Don't France. Don't forget Merkel. Angela Merkel. Well, um, she's I did divisive perhaps, but by God, she's had a long tenure and she's done some very, very good stuff. Well, uh, she coalition. So you have to be yeah. you have to be pragmatic in a coalition. And I think and again, I ironically and, and I was talking to someone yesterday, um, a guy in the UK called Nick Clegg, who's now um I think very senior in Facebook globally. Um, ironically, if he was standing in Liberal Democrats on a on a manifesto of a second election, I bet they would do far better than they're doing now. I genuinely do. I think having really? such a firm right. line of we're, we're revoking. Um, no, I think actually when the, when we were deadlocked a few months ago, I think most of us would have welcomed a second referendum at the time, but unfortunately they missed their trick. Nick Clegg was a very charismatic, honest guy that I did trust in his integrity and I felt he was authentic um didn't agree with everything he said but actually him and cameron in coalition together arguably was probably one of the more peaceful periods in recent times that we've had and and as much as i know politicians in the uk didn't like this idea of a coalition because it was the first and i remember thinking well in my lifetime i've not seen a coalition before but it worked and there was well you might end up with another one but this will perhaps be a very different one which maybe we have a second episode if that comes to pass um but there you go um, I'm conscious of time, JB, but I um, did want to bring in um, the reasons uh, prime ministers and presidents. In the, so here's what's interesting. In the US, of course, they have a maximum of two terms, which in some respects gives them a level of certainty that they don't have to leave failing. But of course, in the UK, regularly, 
leaders uh, that don't win an election then step down from their post. Um, and arguably, they, you know, it's never a happy ending. Um, you know, Blair clearly was under increasing pressure to step down because his reputation was becoming more and more, uh, you know, the position of Labour was getting weaker and weaker at that particular time. Uh, Thatcher's downfall was pretty spectacular. Major lost in a landslide election victory for Tony Blair in 1997. Um, you know, so you look around the world, and, and obviously in France, you know, that it's, it's, it's pretty grotesque, grotesque, sorry, how all that pans out. But of course, what causes them to fail in business the CEO would be removed. There wouldn't mm. be an election. We realise their competence and actually there is no fixed duration of parliament like there is in the US and the UK, currently is under scrutiny again. Um, but it, it, it's very interesting is, is that what made them fail because they were elected at some points, so they were popular, but I suspect what's happened is that the competency or to, to JB's point, the... Um, the 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 times in parliament where they are not doing what they should be doing um then makes people turn against them well and so this kind of goes back into that you know what you what you promise at the election time um and what you promise in your manifesto uh if you fail to, to deliver that, your your chickens will come home to roost, or at least that's what used to happen. And I think that we are now in a period of uh, great mistrust of politicians uh, on the whole, uh, globally. And do you know what worries me about that is that, uh, you know, this is leading the way. It is, it is kind of role modelling that, it, you know, it's okay uh, to be to be elastic with the truth. Uh, we, are, we are in an environment now uh, where we have that elasticity uh, from many, many leaders ac across the globe. Uh, it, would, it would be unusual, I think, uh, to see that uh, not reflected in the corporate world. Uh, in some way, so I, I am personally nervous uh, of of that point, and I think there's a there's a there's another there's another thing about all of this, which is the agenda uh, that we have going. And I, I don't want to come across as political myself here, but I think it's interesting to me that we are here talking about things like uh, Brexit uh, and things like you know, Trump and his wall and, you know, other other adventures uh, that, that are going on around the world. But the, the biggest crisis facing mankind right now, uh, increasingly so, is global warming. And, you know, we are moving deck chairs around on the Titanic uh, as, as we speak, um, using that metaphor. And yet, so where what, is... We've hit the iceberg already or not? Uh, we are just about to. Uh, so we, it's avoidable then? It, 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 within, you know, uh, we have to uh, multiply, uh, redouble our efforts uh, to change our behaviour. Um, and there is no evidence that, um, you know, China... Uh, Russia, America, uh, even even UK, 
it, you know, the, the, the tiny um, number of votes that the Green Party will get in the UK uh, this time round uh, is, is alarming to me. Uh, I, I would love to, to uh, think that they could do well at this time. It is urgent. Um, but, mm. you know, leaders, leaders are, not, are not taking note. Leaders are not taking note of the biggest crisis uh, that is playing out for mankind right now. I, I unfortunately, I think you're right. But I think, unfortunately, and this is, again, probably more of a British position, which might alienate some of our listeners, but I'll give it a quick go. Um, the inability... So the Green Party... Um, in the UK are predominantly all about the environment, which JB articulates very well. But unfortunately for them, their leadership's inability to have a coalition with anybody, because if it's exclusively about the environment, they should be able to do a coalition with any party. But unfortunately, the Green Party campaign only part on the green credentials of this country. And all other policies are, I would say, quite left of centre. They're quite a socialist type of party on that basis they have always refused to do business with a right of center government which ultimately means that when you are diluting the left vote that may harm you and also you are from a opposition perspective never going to do business with a probably a, a likely right of center country so unfortunately that it's an own goal they need to be better leaders and have take some big steps if they want to have influence in government rather than campaigning for for different allocations of power based on proportional representations of votes for example they need to be leaders and say actually do you know what if the environment is a bigger issue than political game playing then we need to do business with whoever party's in power not have a position in a run-up to an election that says we will never do business We'll, we'll do a uh, a part, a unity, but not with conservatives. When we know full well that the 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 opinion polls tell us it will be a right of centre win, um, in what shape that takes is another thing. So you know, I think that's bad leadership, and that's why they're going to lose, probably, possibly their only seat. I would. I tell you what, I would predict is that after this election, the next election that we go into after this one, uh, the environment will be a massive issue. And whether the Green Party can do anything with that, I suspect not. But uh, the other major parties uh, will will have an even bigger message uh, on, on that than they do now. You know, this is the last election that will happen uh, where the environment doesn't take centre stage. That would be my prediction. Well, if we other get, predictions and... If we get um, Brexit done, then we will be able to. That's the thing. And But the sad thing is if we don't, if if there is one way of the election coming out, which I suspect will then be another general election within 12 months, uh, and that will be when the Greens have a seat at a top table and they don't get anything done. Um, you you promised, you promised some predictions from us uh, to our listeners uh, for this UK <laughs> election, and I'm going to keep I'm going to keep my finger on you on that one. Are and, you going to goo one as well, or only me? No, no, I, I I'm collegiate and inclusive in my style. So if, if whatever you do, and I w- I will do too. So I predict the biggest party in the Houses of Parliament in England will be the Conservative government, the yeah. biggest party. Um, I do. <laughs> Depending on the wind and the day, 
um, and tactical voting, which I hope, well, I don't know, actually. Um, so I think they'll be the biggest party. Um, I think Liberal Democrats will unfortunately not do as well as they could have done because of poor leadership by their leader. Actually, again, look at the policies. Ironically, if you're electing a local MP on their capability locally, which is what you do in the UK, you don't vote for your prime minister, you vote for um, your local politicians. And then the more politicians that you have of that particular colour in Parliament dictates who then governs the country. Um, I also predict, by the way, that Boris Johnson, however, will lose his seat. Conservatives will be the largest party, possibly a majority, but he will lose his seat and they will then have to work out how they get around that. Where's he, Uxbridge or...? I think he Uxbridge, yeah, but there is a he didn't win in a massive majority, and of course they're 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 all they're, the Liberal Democrats in their lack of democracy are uh, trying to encourage people to you know uh, tactically vote. So anyway, there's my prediction. What about you? Uh, so basically, what you're saying is that we will end up with another Conservative uh, government and not led by Boris Johnson. No, I think he will go on to come back in because what will happen is uh, I read this constitutionally, you can then kick out an MP that's willing to step down um, yeah. and then that in a safe seat, for example, and then he would go yeah. have a by-election, get back in, and but there would have to be a holding government, I believe, in the meantime. Okay, right. There you go. Well, for once, Ant, I am going to agree with you no, not for once. We, yeah. we, no, we do agree a lot. Uh, but in our politics, I think we probably s swing from slightly different chandeliers yes. um, on election night. But I, I will not be swinging from my chandelier on election night. Uh, I will accept your point that the Conservatives, and if you read the polls as they are now, I, I cannot see uh, that there is a sufficient um, uptake for any kind of coalition uh, between the Labour Party and the Lib Dems, I can't see that. Uh, so I think we will we will uh, have a Conservative uh, government, uh, whether it's led by Johnson or not. I I do not know the detail on that, but I I, I do know what the polls are looking like, and it does look like we will end up with a a Conservative. If I have to predict it, that that's what I would say. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll see. We will. will you be staying up all night to watch it? I will be. I've booked the Friday off and everything because I'm a geek like that. Are you? I, well, I have already bought a bottle of King's Ginger uh, available at all. Um, no, actually, it's not available. But I certainly know it's at my local Waitrose. And uh, King's Ginger is a, is a lovely, lovely liqueur uh, which will get you through. Um, some of those trickier moments of a, 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 a i.e. when you start falling asleep, uh, you you need a little bit of King's Ginger and have a little bit of champagne as well uh, on ice, a nice bottle of uh, Moet or something. Have a couple of bottles of that each, and every so often, just put a little nip of King's Ginger into the top of your champagne. And then when things get a little bit more fruity, just drink the King's Ginger neat. And that's probably what, in fact, I'm, I'm considering getting another bottle of King's Ginger now that I'm wetting my appetite for it. Nice, nice. Right, we, we need to move on because we are at nearly our hour <laughs> mark and we have uh, some 
some good questions and shout outs or do we do the shout outs and hold the questions back till next week what do you want to do um ooh let's let's keep um we need to keep format don't we because people might be disappointed if we don't do them yeah let's <laughs> let's keep let's keep to the to the as much as we can to the format okay so we need to do some shout outs first of all um, we need to do a shout out to a lady called Jo in Edinburgh, um, regular listener. Um, oh. And she has a question for us as well. But I did promise her a shout out um, because she said... Hi, Jo. Hi, Jo. Yeah. Um, she lives in Scotland. Thinks uh, um nice part of the world, actually, up in Edinburgh. Um, I think she is. Anyway, I want to be in trouble if it's not Edinburgh now. Right. OK. And she said that I'm ha- she's happy to be named in the question because I said... <gasps> You know, I always ask, can we name you? So here we go. Here's her question. In a large, globally dispersed team, how do you recommend we build trust? Well, so ideally, um, you, you would get them all together uh, in one great, big, hairy, audacious um, webinar um, and get them actually having a conversation about trust and the importance of trust. And what I find gets groups of people of any size having a good old think about trust is its relationship to performance. And that works in many different ways in terms of the uh, the way that you trust yourself, uh, the way that you trust others, and what impact that actually has on on performance levels. So there is a there is a thing that I often like to say, which is high high trust teams equals high performance teams. And you know when when you can relate uh, the the qualities of performance in a team. And you can get people to, you know, really have a good think about what performance really looks like, what it could be. And it's one of those things which is in order to achieve high performance, if you don't have high levels of trust, you will not achieve it. You will not get a high skilled, high willed team uh, if your if your trust trust levels are low. But then you have to think about in that webinar. Uh, what what are the what are the trust areas and just kind of three simple things to think about uh, trust in integrity, which is about doing what's right for the business and its objectives and doing what's right for its people. So, in other words, the integrity for uh, the business and and the people within it. How we how are we doing? How are we doing on that? And you can take that right down to an individual in terms of you know um, being trusted to do what's right for the business and to do what's right for others around them. And indeed, you know, do you trust them to do what's right for themselves? Because sometimes people get gripped um, by fear, by trying too hard, and they stop trusting themselves. So it's paying attention to that idea of trust as well in terms of integrity. Their intent, you know, the intent uh, to help others to achieve their potential um, and, you know, maybe, maybe you know, thinking about their performance and having conversations about performance. And then, you know, their competence, trusting in incompetence, tr- trusting, not in incompetence, trusting in competence. Um, and, you know, what is what are the team's competence? So if you use those as filters of trust, 
of integrity, intent, and competence. Um, get them get them having a conversation about those three areas uh, around trust, linking that to performance. How do we get high trust in our team to get high performance? What does that trust look like? Um, and that self, others, um, and the organisation. How do we how do we make trust trust work? And making that our charter, our trust charter in in those um, in those sessions. Uh, don't just do one, um, do several. Um, do do some good poll questions. Do some good preparation beforehand, uh, and you know get as much engagement and involvement in it as you can. So I will add into that not a huge amount because JB's talked a lot of sense I believe but of course in an international multi-jurisdiction organization if you are a leader of um, people in multiple areas of the world um, the inability to communicate frequently face-to-face of course will always hamper your ambitions to be more trusted um, because um, irregular communication um, can um create or manifest itself in a lack of trust that you believe in that person Um, they're part of the journey so to speak Um, and therefore my advice would be that um, to add into JB is frequent communication is critical um, and make sure all communication is um, with cameras if it's virtual Um, if it's in person great and I would be tireless in ensuring you get regular face-to-face meetups I say regular at least a couple of times a year um, with those people in a group setting and hopefully one-to-ones at least one additional time as well Um, regular communication for me is massively important in a globally diverse business as you ask Joe Rendell Um, but conscious of time so um, hopefully that's answered it for you Joe please tell us if not and we'll have another crack at it Um, excuse me my voice is terrible what is going on I don't know I'm gonna mute myself and cough for a second one second there we go oh beautiful um shout out to richard fitzmorris um based Ah. based in london um he he did ask though if he can request a method of delivery for his shout out and he'd like you to shout out jb in the form of a power ballad oh heck right what just to shout out his name and everything sing his name in a power ballad i believe okay uh I love you, Richard Fitzmorris. I love you, Morris Fitzrichard. Wow. I never know which way to do it, but I love you, Richard Fitzmorris. Wow. I know he's Sorry, like, it went a bit folky. No, that was amazing. I think he will probably be calling you to become a brand ambassador for his organisation <laughs> off the back of that. Incredible. Incredible performance. Hello to Lewis, based in Miami. Um, he's a regular listener, listens on his way to work. Um, hello to Raj, based in the UK. Uh, hello to Ryland, based in Wales. He has a question for us, um, oh, JB. Gosh. Let me let me get yeah. up the question. The question is, why do... And these, these are great questions. It's a shame we, we are kind of limited on time. Why do businesses, stroke executives, stroke entrepreneurs, struggle with execution? Thinking of the big things. They have a vision, but in terms of executing the business plan, improvements, the norms... KPIs and so on. Good question. Wow. Um, I, here's the thing. So J- JB will will um, hopefully 
like me for making this reference, but he talks about sky birds and ground birds. Is this where you're <gasps> nodding to? Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, arguably lots of successful leaders are big visionaries. But of course, if they're entrepreneurial, which I'm imagining in the role that you do, looking at your job description on LinkedIn, Rylan, I imagine that you're dealing with lots of entrepreneurial type individuals in growing fast growth businesses. And of course, uh, if they are the founder of that organization, they're probably already onto their next trick. They've got their vision out there. It's going and now I'm getting bored. What can I do next? And I think, therefore, the execution lacks because they 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 generally are quite fast thinkers, entrepreneurs, and and visionary leaders and skybirds, and therefore they're swooping off into another direction. But the successful leaders are the ones that can also land and get into the detail, and can do the execution. Uh, and I think that metaphor of skybird groundbird, which JB will no doubt elaborate on in a second, probably sums it up. I think. There is a um, requirement if you are a particularly inspiring visionary to surround yourself by somebody that is good at the detail. Um, I have a very successful direct report who is probably not very visionary and he'd admit that himself, but he's a great detail person. I have someone else on my team who's also a visionary who's probably a bit like me. And sometimes if we have one-to-ones together, we're off in the clouds flying around having a lovely time but forgetting about the detail back on the ground <laughs> jb <laughs> oh well i love questions like this uh, and I, I i i love ground birds and i love sky birds and i think it's probably um pretty clear that i i'm a bit more on the, the sort of sky skyboard sky bird isn't that a star trek um clingers <laughs> <laughs> on the starboard skyboard uh, Klingons. Uh, anyway, so yes, I I I will be um, a little bit more. I, my my choice is to be slightly more kind of vision led, I guess, and to uh, kind of try and work out for as long as I can uh, the detail that that I need to to build my rocket with, if we put it that way. And so there was something I learned uh, recently, actually, about eagles. And eagles, I don't know whether you know this, Anne, but eagles, when there is a storm, uh, they fly above it. Did you know that? No, I didn't. No, nor did I until recently. Uh, and I thought, actually, what a fantastic uh, visual, what a fantastic idea that is. So, you know, the storm starts coming and they go, instead of sort of taking, taking cover down in a tree or something, Oh, no, they go up and up and up and up over the storm and they can see it and see how long it's going to last. And once it's over, they, they can they can swoop back down again. And it made me really think that that idea, that picture of things that are useful to to visionary leaders. And that is, you know, don't stop being visionary. Don't stop. Uh, looking at what you have your your role is massively important in taking a, a really good bird's eye view of a situation but here's here's the added bit that I want to to throw into the mix and that is if you are analyzing the storm below you know if you're if you're looking at actually what's going on below you remember this um, what is the outcome uh, that you are looking for uh, who and what is what is the process 
that you need to use uh, to to get your vision to happen. Uh, how do you get people to participate and in what way? And what's your timing? So OPPT is a very, very good way for a skybird such as me to crystallize uh, what I can see from being above that storm. The storm being a metaphor for what happens in, in life, in organizations a lot of the time. Uh, don't, don't be afraid to, to, to go above it and to see it. There is a danger also uh, for entrepreneurs to get caught up in the storm and start micromanaging because that's how they started it and that's how it's always been. And they, and they get lost in the fog they get lost in that storm. So don't, don't, for God's sake, end up getting caught up in that. Try and keep above the storm. Um, but remember, be clear about your outcome. Be clear about the process and the way pu people participate in it. And always, always uh, have a clear idea about timing and timescales. And that, that is my guidance to, to that question. Thank you very much, JB. So a shout out to Silka. Um, she's messaged um, via yeah. LinkedIn. Um, yeah. uh, her husband is was a regular listener, inspired her to listen. She is originally from Germany, but now lives in Do you say was? Has he stopped listening? At what point did he stop listening? Don't know. The download. I don't know what happened. By the way, something happened this week on Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday. 500 downloads in a day in the middle of the week. Randomly. No. And I don't know what, what it spiked. So I've got no idea what happened there. Um, was it your wife? Was it one of your kids? Deleting and re-downloading. I hope so. <laughs> Whatever. It looked good on the, on the graph. So thanks for that. Um, we, we, by the way, we do love your questions and your hellos. So Silka, hello to you. Once say hello to Juan Carlos in Costa Rica. Ah, yes. Um, he yes. is a regular listener. Apparently listens on planes quite a bit. Um, and hello as well to James in the USA. Ah, can I say hello to Silka? Because we are now um, mates on LinkedIn. We've we've been having correspondence, oh. uh, which is very exciting. Lovely. So hello, hello, Silka. Lovely to to hear from you. So we uh, are only going to do one more episode or two more episodes this year after this one. Ever? Oh yes, this year. Yeah. yeah. So next week um, is our last episode, which will be, of course, a Christmas epic one. And we'll try and have an abundance of questions. I'll get the King's Ginger out. Yeah. And of course, um, we will be, I presume, one step closer to the general election. Um, and then, of course, we're going to come back in the new year. But uh, please do submit your questions via the social media outlets or find us on Twitter, Lead Learn Pod. Um, and at some point, me and JB will sort out an email address, which you can email in questions to. But, but otherwise... Um, we are nearly done. But JB, what are you up to over the next week? We never talked about what we did in the last week, but hey-ho, what can we do? Ooh, uh, I'm going to be trudging around in Gloucestershire uh, with my daughter and my wife. Uh, we've, we're doing some walking. We're staying at a pub. And then we are coming back via Oxford, spending some time with some friends in Oxford and then returning uh, to the the sunny cliffs of, of Ramsgate uh, on Saturday and then I shall be collapsing on Sunday and doing absolutely nothing. It is official. I will be doing nothing on Sunday. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. 
What about you, Ant? Very jealous. Um, I am uh, tonight flying off to the Channel Islands to run a two-day workshop over there, which will be interesting. Uh, And then um, over the weekend, lots and lots of exciting stuff around sorting out our house because we have sold, we have also found... Um, and of course, that means we have to start putting together inventories and all those bits and pieces that the uh, the, the the lawyers need in, in terms of to f- complete the transaction. Um, so that is our Exciting. plan. And then oh, we've also got some family down as well, just to add into the mix. So uh, unlike you, will not be doing nothing. Um, I will be not doing nothing. Nothing, no. And then um, uh, and, and then um, I think before we record next, um, I'm going to be doing some work in London. I think. Yeah, I think that's it. And then we'll be recording again, no doubt. So, Excellent. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening. This has been the Global Leadership Podcast. I have been Anthony Price. And I have been Jonathan Bradley, tickling the frontiers of global leadership with you. I thought you were doing your, your line thing at the end, you know. Thanks for giving us a damn good... I thought that was your campaign now. Well, I have different varieties of campaign messages. I, d- I want to be authentic. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to be a bloody walking soundbite. Well, on that note, dear listener, goodbye. Goodbye.